0: Today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you want to find your place there, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And as you do, if you would, in honor for God's Word today, stand with me and we'll read this text today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1, we have some lessons here from Solomon, the preacher, the king, uh, who would admonish us uh, today with this thought of mindless sacrifice. Verse 1 he says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow, than thou thou, thou shouldst vow, and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou therefore before the angel that it was an heir. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice, and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities. He says, But fear thou. God. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the music this morning. Lord, thank you for this place uh, that we could assemble together. And then thank you, Lord, for for the assembly and for being with one another today. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak the words to each of us that we need to hear from you, and that you'd admonish and encourage uh, and instruct, and maybe perhaps even uh, challenge us today from this text, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is a phrase that's been said many different ways, but I think it originated with Benjamin Franklin, and he, he once penned, house guests like fish begin to smell after three days. And I'm not sure who was staying with him at the time, but it was very obvious from that, fra- that phrase that he was ready for them to leave his home. You know, it's almost universally true that the more time we spend with people, with individuals, the more familiar that we become with them. And psychologists say, and many studies attest to this, that we're we're more likely to get tired of them or to even find them irritating. And that is what Benjamin Franklin was essentially saying. If you grew up with brothers or sisters, then you know what I mean. I have three sisters and a brother, and I remember, and I look back at our childhood, and I've always loved them, but in the home, you know, there'd be some, some fighting, some quibbling, some lack of appreciation for one another, to say it gently, and maybe some siblings here today could smile at that and understand that. As adults, uh, they're some of my best friends. I, I love them dearly. I enjoy being around them. Uh, next month, we're all getting together in Florida for, for a week, really looking forward to spending that time with my sisters, especially. Um, <laughs> And my brother, I get to spend time with him here. Stop, Betsy! Stop it! All right. Why do siblings become friends after they leave the home? Well, the answer is the phrase maybe we've heard too, which would simply be familiarity. Can, if we're not guarded and careful, breed contempt. That phrase has been around for a long time. A man named Chaucer wrote those words in 1386 in a poem. It's a proverb, and it simply means this: extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for it. And there's a 2008 article entitled Why Familiarity Really Does Breed Contempt. And this man, Jeremy Dean, cited a study. And in this study, they, they researched all these people and their close connections, and they said, people actually like people they know less about than those that they know well. You know, we, we like someone that we, we see on the news or maybe in a movie, we like them because we don't know them right? And so we might like them more. Not that we don't like the people in our lives, but we might like them more. Most people would say they like people they know well, but then again, the research says the more we know about someone, there is that greater risk that we dislike them. And he quotes in his research, he says this, we like people with similarities to us, but the more we get to know a person, the more likely we are to find dissimilarities find enough dissimilarities, and the person becomes irritating to us. Why is that? Well, again, because if we're not guarded in our hearts, there's this familiarity that begins to creep in, we get to know each other, we get to take each other for granted, and if we take each other for granted, then all of a sudden seeds of contempt take place in our heart. Um, Andrew mentioned today that Katie grew up in Washington state. I did too, a different part of the state. In fact, on a clear day, which are very rare in Washington, but on a clear day, you know, you could walk outside our front porch, and we lived in this beautiful home, in this beautiful addition, nestled in amongst pine trees. And on a clear day, you could look, and about 60 miles south of us, you could see uh, Mount Rainier, which is one of the most beautiful mountains in America, and it would just sit there, you know, snow-capped, just beautiful sitting, sitting there. And I grew up with that. Uh, always looking at green trees, always looking at that mountain. And it's a beautiful mountain. The area around it is gorgeous. Um, But as a kid, I couldn't care less. I didn't see it. I took it for granted. I I go back and I visit that, my dad still lives in that home, and I'll visit now, and I'll just sit there and think, this is an amazing view. This is so beautiful, and it's wondrous, and it's, it's majestic. But when I was there every day, I lost my ability to depreciate the beauty, the majesty of the mountains. And not everyone there thinks that way, but many do. And I'm sure this is close, true for those of us, those of others that live closest to things like maybe a desert or forest or beach. My wife and I were with my sister in Tampa last year and her pastor, her husband's a pastor there. And, and we love the beach and we'd come down to a conference and we took a couple extra days and we went to the beach and then we went to her home. And, and I asked her, you know, when was the last time you went to the beach? And she stops and thinks, and she says, about 18 months ago maybe, you know, year and a half, and and she just lives 40 minutes from there. That's the way life is. The same thing can be true about the wonderful things that surround us every day. It's easy to miss the beautiful sunrises and sunsets that we have here in Oklahoma. Many of us forget about the beautiful cloud formations that were surrounding us last night. It's not just the wonder of nature that's lost to us in our familiarity, so too are the blessings from the Lord. We we grow very quickly dissatisfied with our car buy a brand new one, and within a few months, we know what we don't like about it. And we forget all the things that we do like about it. Um, We grow dissatisfied with our clothes, with our possessions, with our jobs and our homes. Once we obtain those things, once we've utilized them for a time, we grow discontented and we fail to appreciate what we have. And as mentioned ago, it's not just things we take for granted. It's not just things that become familiar to us, it's also people. It's the people in our lives. Uh, Andrew, just great, great illustration today about a spouse. Here's a person, and, and maybe you remember, this was a person you were in love with, and you did things that were over the top for them. And you 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 had so much romance and affection for them, but you get married. And time goes by, and we begin to take that individual for granted if we're, not, if we're not guarded. Over time, children growing up in a good home with good parents can fail to appreciate them, to complain and murmur about them, and even fight against what many would love to have, just good parents who love them. There's a great danger in all this and failing to appreciate, to be thankful for, to rejoice in the things and the people that are in our lives. Familiarity, if not guarded against, and if we're not thoughtful and wise about it, it will also breed in our hearts' content. And those seeds of contempt produce some pretty ugly things in our hearts. We rob people. We don't give them their due. And whether we recognize it or not, mountains are majestic and they are beautiful. And sunsets are breathtaking. And things that we have, they are still a blessing. And the people around us, they are unequivocally life's greatest treasures. We don't just rob them of their due. We rob ourselves too. Because when we fail to recognize, and we fail to appreciate, and we fail to have gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts for the world around us, we ourselves become dull and uninspired people. We grow critical. We grow contemptuous. We grow even bitter and judgmental. And our attitude of contempt and marginalization, it often costs us our happiness. And it costs us our joy. And it costs us our peace. And, and, and our relationships with other people that we're supposed to be loving and receiving love from, we, we cut that off and we hurt those individuals. And, and we not only are not extending love, we're not receiving it. And we need that for our, the health of our hearts. And there is this tendency and this bent that, that sometimes we unappreciative people have. And that is what Solomon is addressing in the text this morning. And he comes out pretty quickly right away with this warning about keeping our feet. It's this warning that those who come into the house of God, that those who would come into the place where we assemble and worship, he is saying this, don't get too familiar with it. Don't take take that place and those people for granted. Don't take that God that you've come to worship and serve and talk about, sing about, don't treat him contemptuously don't do that. And as he writes these words, um, we can almost imagine for a moment him reflecting and watching a busy temple scene. And so here he is. And, 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 and if you were to take an outside perspective today, a bird's eye view of Eastland Baptist Church, and you would see people coming in and out, parking their cars, coming in the doors, sitting in the auditorium, singing music, exiting in just a few moments, grabbing kids, you know, grabbing a donut, a cup of coffee, seeing them fellowship. He's, he's got this perspective, different time, different place. But he's watching and he's observing what's taking place. And as he gazes on this scene, he recognizes that some people, they're really worshiping. He's watching the choir members and he sees some choir members and he's thinking, wow, that person's really singing to God. Man, that person, they are into it, and they're thinking about the words. And, and this couple back there, look at both of them. Look at their faces, their spirits, and their heart. While they are really engaged in worshiping the Lord. And look at how that person opened their Bible. And look at their attitude and how they treat the people around them. And then he looks at others. And he sees them. And he watched them come into the service, too. And he watched them sing. And, 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 and that choir member, and I don't know who sits over there. Well, actually I do, but uh, we're not going to you know, mention it. And that, and that person over here, I'll oh, use the other side of the auditorium, okay? It's the dark side. Um, he says, those people, for lack of a better word, well, they're performing. They're going through the motions. It's not what you're supposed to be here for. They're going through meaningless motions. It's meaningless and mindless sacrifice in this attempt, perhaps, to appease God. And that's not all evil, but they're missing the main point. And the main point is to love Him. And He uses this phrase to describe what we, sometimes the trap we ourselves fall into. And He says to these individuals, and maybe to us today, they are sacrificing the sacrifice of fools. What does that mean? Well, it means we show up, and we give our offerings, maybe digitally, or maybe in an analog way, right? <laughs> it, it, it means we greet one another. It means we sing the songs. It means we've we, we given, we've set aside time today, we, we've gone to great efforts to be here, all of us have. We've served in, over 400 people in this church are serving in, formally in ministries, and and and. The majority of the serving isn't the formal ministry. It's it's the way that we serve and help this place operate. And yet, we go through all those motions. There's no appreciation. There's no gratitude. There's no thanksgiving in the heart. There's no humility, no joy, no sincerity. There's no thought given to God's magnificence and His righteousness his awesomeness, his holiness, his goodness. There's a lot we are doing. And sometimes in the bustle of doing a lot, and maybe today just showing up was a lot for you. And you're like, well, I'm here. But Solomon would look at that, the preacher. Speaking through God's Holy Spirit, and he would say, Be careful, because you could be doing a lot of really good things and you're just going through motions. And he says, It's the sacrifice of fools. You're giving up so much and for no purpose. You're just going through the motions. And to be clear this morning, Solomon is not saying, Don't go through the motions. He's just saying this Go through the motions and make it count, make it worthwhile. Don't sacrifice the sacrifice of a fool. Be sincere. Be grateful. Don't become familiar. Remember who you're meeting with. And he says, sacrifice the sacrifice, if we could change the word today, of a wise man, of a wise woman. Don't do it this way. To do otherwise, to sacrifice in a meaningless way, is to make the sacrifice of a fool. And so he gives us some specific instructions from the text. And he says, "Just first of all, you need to make sure that you keep your foot. He says, keep your foot. The idea is to watch where you're going. Be careful about what you're doing and how you're doing it. The idea here is caution, uh, carefulness, guardedness. If you're a parent with a child who owns Legos, and it's the middle of the night, and you have to go check on them, and your feet are bare, if you've done it once, you know, and you never do it again. You walk cautiously, guardedly. You can't see them You're trying to keep your feet from, you know, stepping on a Lego. And that's kind of the idea here. Like When you come, come with this guardedness, not with flippancy. Don't take it for granted. Come with the spirit of expectancy. Come remembering this is a special place. This isn't like any other place you'll go to throughout the rest of the week. There are six other days, but today's special. This place is different. And the God who makes it different. And we need to be careful. Solomon's dad, David, had saved and he sacrificed for the temple to be built. And God looked at David and David said, God, I've amassed all these resources. And God told David, David, this place is to be so special. And you have so much blood on your hands. I know you have a heart to build it for me, but you can't. So he said, I'm going to let your son Solomon build it. And the man who wrote these verses built the temple. And it was magnificent. And it was beautiful. And it was wonderful. And the purpose of the temple was to create a space where people could worship God. It wasn't about the gold and the tapestry and the entrance. All those things were symbolic, but they were symbolic of God. And people went to the temple. And years go by. And Solomon later in life, he's observing the scene and he sees, wait a minute, this wasn't what the temple was built for because these people are entering carelessly. They came with bad attitudes. They they came with this, you take care of me. They came with entitlement. They came with problems with one another that they harbored in their hearts and weren't letting go of. They came with pride. They came with known sin that they failed to address in their hearts. They came to, and for our purposes today, and I know I'm moving this into a different dispensation, but they came to church, and they went through all the motions of worshiping God, and they acted like they were doing God a big favor. And God looks at that, and He he says, you're not doing me a favor. He looks at this and says, you're treating me with contempt. That's not the point of coming here. They had allowed themselves to be too come too familiar with the scene too familiar with god too familiar with this idea of worshiping him fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years and jesus watched people doing the same thing so he expounds on this thought and if you want to turn there you may mark chapter 7 i'm going to read a few from a few places here for a moment mark chapter 7 And I have, I think, uh, we're going to have some of those verses on the screen as well this morning. And so in verse 6, as Jesus observes, quote-unquote, religious men, people who went to church, if you will, people that were supposed to be doing one thing, but he says, that's not what you're doing. Verse 6, he says, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, and he uses this really strong word. He said, you're hypocrites. Why? Why? Well, because you say and do one thing with your intention, but your heart, what God can see that we can't see. It's far from me. He says, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, the hearts far from me. Verse 7, how be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, laying aside the commandment of God. He said, You hold the tradition of men. You're so steeped in your tradition. You're so steeped in, in making sure that everything's right outwardly. And he is not dogging that. He is saying you're missing what's inside. And what's inside is what's important. Verse 13, he says, "...you're making the word of God the most important thing, of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered." And he says, "...and many such like things ye do. Everything that they did, they did to be seen of men." In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, turn there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Jesus is delivering this sermon again to men. Men that we look at and go, we're not like them. But his whole point is sometimes we are. And he says in verse 23, he says, you pay tithe. Now he would go on to define what that meant for them. But for us today, it's our money that we give to the Lord. He says, you're paying it. He said, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. He said, judgment and mercy and faith. These things are priority. He says to them, He says, these ought ye have done and not to leave the other undone. He says, Yes, pay your tithe, but do it with a good attitude. Have mercy amongst you. Have judgment, have kindness and goodness. Verse 24, He said, You blind guides. He's strained it in that. You swallow a camel. Verse 27, he says, woe unto you. He says, you're like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but they're within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I mean, I've participated in my fair share of funerals. I drive by funeral homes all the time. I know you do too. One's a memorial funeral uh, at Floral Haven just down the road. You know, outwardly they're beautiful. The lawns are mowed. There's tombstones. But inside those tombs, it's not beautiful. If they took those bodies that die and they laid them on top of the grave, we'd go by and go, wow, that's ugly. And Jesus is saying, yeah, the condition of your heart looks like the inside of those tombs. He says, It's ugly. He said, you've come to church, and outwardly look like floral haven, and inwardly it's disgusting, the condition of your heart. This is the warning. Isaiah, go backwards in time, right? Solomon saw it. Jesus saw it. Isaiah saw it. He says in verse 4, All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, he says they have forsaken the Lord. So they provoke the Holy One of Israel into anger. They're gone away back backward. God says, look, I'm not just disappointed. I'm not just hurt. I'm angry. Verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? I don't really care about that. He says, verse 16, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. He says, cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do well. These are the things that I care about. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. If if this was a problem for Solomon's day, if it was a problem for Isaiah's day, if it was a problem for Jesus' day, we're going to have that problem today. And we have to guard against it. We have to guard against this. We have to come with this different kind of attitude and spirit and be held in check by the Holy Spirit of God because we could be guilty of coming to this place and meeting with our brothers and sisters in Christ and singing this kind of music and hearing this kind of preaching and coming and doing what these people did and that was in a way that was perfunctory. We come because we're supposed to come. Got my car today, put my suit on, come to church. Go home, take it off, and go do whatever I'm gonna to do today. And, and, and not engage my mind. We forget it's a privilege and it's a blessing and it is not a right to assemble with God's people in God's house and to meet with Him and to have His Holy Spirit speak to us. We simply check it off our list of things to do for the week. We come perfunctory, we come insincerely. We come to church without any realness to us. We sing the songs from memory and not from heart. There's a difference when we engage our brains and minds. We judge everything around us. We judge the people around us, we judge the building, we judge everything here. Judge the preaching, judge the music, and we fail to judge our own heart. And that's the whole purpose of being together. We come perfunctory, we come insincerely, we come hypocritically. Jesus said that, two-faced, double-minded. We come to church full of ourselves and not out of concern for others or God, we plunked down in our pew, we plunked down in our Bible class, we plunked down in the youth department, and we act like, well, the refreshments weren't very good today. And the coffee was cold, or they were out of it. No one, no one shook my hand. It's an unfriendly place. Music was so-so today. Eh, could have been better. Preaching was... Eh. It's the attitude we have. Judge everything but ourselves. Come for us, without really coming with the intent, purpose, and express purpose of saying, "This is a place that I come to to serve." I'm going to be fed today, and I need it. But I also need to feed, and I need to bless, and I need to honor God, and I've come to worship Him, and I've come to bless His people. That's the purpose. Too often we lose it. We say we love God. We say we love our church, but then we're inconsistent in attendance. We pay more homage to our place of employment than we do to church. We harbor ill will in our hearts. We fail to forgive people inside this auditorium, and then we'll come and sing songs and thank God for His forgiveness of our sin, but then we're not going to forgive other people their sin. Hypocrite. We say He is Lord. And yet, we don't demonstrate it in the most basic form of worship, which is like number one is our giving. God makes that clear from His Word unequivocally. Solomon says, Be careful. Jesus said, Don't be a hypocrite. Keep your foot, watch your step, remember who He is. Remember what you're supposed to be doing when you come into this place. In verse 2 of our text today, Solomon gives us this warning, and then he says, God is in heaven and you are on the earth. That is not a statement of distance. That is a statement of perspective. He is saying you're not seeing things the way God sees them. Don't toy with him. He's not to be taken for granted. He's watching. You want to judge, be careful, because the judge is the judge, and the judge judges. And he sees our hearts, and he knows what's inside us. And Solomon just issues us this warning. He says, guard your foot. Be careful. Number two, he says, be ready to hear. Look at the second part of verse One, he says, And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. God is telling us that our first duty when we come together is to listen. And too often we come in and we just want to talk. And that's not wrong to talk to one another, but let's listen to each other too. And first and foremost, we need to be in a position with hearts ready to receive what God might say to us. Through the preaching, through the teaching, through our brothers and sisters in Christ, listening isn't easy. It is work to listen. It requires us to think and it requires humility. We have areas of our hearts and we have areas in our attitudes that need constant Correction. All of us, for all time, until we're with the Lord, we're going to need some adjustments. So too often we just pretend to listen. We're silent, we're nodding, maybe even affirming, but we're not listening. Sometimes we're selective with our listening. We tune in to what we like and we tune out what we don't like. Sometimes we're even attentive in our listening. We focus all of our energy and effort on what's being said. But the the Lord is asking from us this morning is simply this. I want you to be a reflective listener, listening with humility, knowing that at any given time, your heart and your attitude may need correction and you don't even see it. But the Holy Spirit and the mirror of God's word will help you see it. Verse 1, he says this, they consider not that they do evil. No reflection. Not even, coming to church and not even considering that maybe God might point something out in my heart today that's evil. An evil thought, an evil intent, an evil attitude, an evil disposition, a lack of joy. And he says they don't even consider it. They're not listening. There's no reflection. They're not paying attention. They don't really want to hear. He says guard against that. Be ready to hear. We need to do business when we come to this place with who we are, with who he is, and with who he wants us to be. God is in heaven. We're on the earth. He's watching in a way Solomon could not. And he says, pay attention. Be guarded, listening. Number three, be the person that you say you are. Verse verse three, look back at our text today. Verse 3, he says, A dream comes through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. He says, When thou vowest to vow unto God. Okay, so we might look at this today. This is a different dispensation. They dealt with God in a different way. We'll say, Well, that's easy. I just won't vow a vow to God. I'll just get around that text. He says, Defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. He says, Pay that which thou hast vowed. Okay, we want to technically escape the wording of this verse we could but we can't escape the intent of the verse. And I think if we do that then we we err. For our purposes today, we need to think in terms of what we say we are. What we identify with. Sometimes it's not even our words, but our actions that we say we identify with. Our behavior, our habits, our attitudes, Okay, for instance, this morning, I would guess the majority of people today would call themselves a Christian. That's an identification. That's a vow, if you will. It's saying, I'm committed to this. And the challenge from the text is simply this if you say you're a Christian, that's not just receiving Jesus Christ in your heart. Yes, that's what gets you into heaven. But if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a little Christ, then be one. Yeah, Don't fail to work at being a Christian. If you say you're a member of Eastland Baptist Church, or at the very least a regular tender, then be committed to that and live that life and, and, and engage and serve and help and pull your weight. Say what you are and then work at being that. Okay, a few coaching thoughts today, and I'm almost finished. You thought pastor was gonna, you were gonna get a shorter sermon, so I'm, I'm sorry. You be committed in your attendance. It is so easy to get loose from church. We expect everyone to be here every time we show up. I do. But, it's convenient. but some of us come when it's just convenient to come. When I don't have to work today, when there aren't sports on, and I'm not tired. So if those three boxes... You know, checked. Then I'll come to church. We wouldn't think that verbally, but if you look at your attendance, that's how we act. We too easily allow other priorities in our lives. I, I, I am not talking about taking vacation. I'm not talking about a Sunday you miss because of extenuating circumstances. I'm just talking about on a regular basis. Be committed. I'm saying that we can allow other things to take a higher priority in our lives, and the Lord is saying, whoa, you might say one thing. You might verbalize one thing. He says, but your heart is far from me because you're not backing it up with your intent. I can't judge that very well, but God can, and he does, and we need to be careful. The most important things in life don't scream loudly. It's the boss that screams loudly. It's the sports that scream loudly. It's other things, our own flesh that screams loudly. And we need to say no to other things so that we can say yes to God. I think number two, we need to be prepared to enter God's house. Prepare yourself physically. Preparation for services shouldn't start an hour before the service starts. Like, you know, Elizabeth and I have four kids, and when they were li- real little, and you know, it could be challenging to get, out, you know, get all the kids out of that house on Sunday morning. You know, start thinking about church on Sunday, on Saturday evening. You stay up, you know, too late, whatever that is for you, and you roll in here and you sleep halfway through the services and you're just physically wore out. That's a mistake. That's not taking this seriously. Like, think, tomorrow's church. I need to be at my best for the Lord and I need to be best, my best for other people. Engage your mind there. Get ready. Prepare yourself spiritually. Prepare yourself listen. Prepare yourself to be still. Prepare your phone and and, and all the distractions in your world. Prepare them so that when you're here, you can engage people. And when you're here, you can sing songs to God. And when you're here, you can worship Him. Pray for Jesse as he leads the music every Sunday. Pray for the man. Ask God to help him. What he does is a big deal in our hearts. Pray for the man. Ask God to use him to lift our voices so that we can please him. Pray for the preachers. Pray for us guys who fill this place and speak for, for uh, 30 plus minutes sometimes. Pray that we could speak God's words so that we could hear them and be instructed. Enter with a sense of expectancy from God. Come with a spirit and an attitude of prayer. There are six days of the week we commit to living our life here on earth, but Sunday's different. Like set it apart in your mind and set it apart in your heart. When we come here, we do so to accomplish eternal things. We are building a foundation in our lives for eternity. The money we give, the attitude and the love and the acts of service and the action that we take here matters so much through the week and it's so much in eternity. So many wonderful things happen here. But your attitude and your involvement and your creativity and your sacrifice And your love and your giving, they matter. Don't take what we have here for granted. Things that are taken for granted are neglected. And things that are neglected are lost. Ask Solomon. Look at the temple. He gives these people a warning, and did they heed it? And the Bible says, and history records, they did not. They neglected the warning. And because they neglected it, they lost. Just because we have what we have doesn't mean we always will. We may feel like we're in a position of strength spiritually today, and it doesn't take much for it to be lost and gone. And this is a special place, yes, it won't always be if you don't treat it that way. So treat it that way. Don't take it for granted. If you're a member of Eastland Baptist Church, don't take Eastland for granted. Be supportive here. Be loving, be serving, be guarded, be helpful. Come here with a sense of expectancy. Don't treat it lightly. These people lost the temple. In a few hundred years, they tried to rebuild it, and they never could rebuild it, and they lost it again. Today's a warning. It's also an admonition. Don't come here lightly. Don't take for granted this place, this church family, the things we do here. Don't offer the sacrifice of a fool. Don't be mindless. Come here listening. Come here with a good attitude. Come here attentive. Come here to hear God's voice. Come here to listen. Come here to serve. Come here to sing with purpose. Come here to serve with meaning. Come here to love one another. Be ready to apply what God says to you and be responsive to his voice.